Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. John chapter 8, we're going to look at today the light of the world. Have you ever been in a place when the lights went out? I know what you're thinking right now. I can hear it in your mind. Where were you when the lights went out? Right? We're not talking about Reba. We're not talking about any of the others. But I know that's the song that you're, I'm not going to sing it for you either. I'm sorry. I, I know that's disappointing for many of you. You know, we've had the lights go out a couple of times on us in storms. One time in here. In this room, it's really nice because we can raise those back curtains and it brings a lot of light in in the mornings. But I remember early on in our church's life when we were at our first facility, uh, there were no windows in the worship room and the lights went out one day. So being good church people, we managed to move everyone outside safely and securely. We gathered them in a group. We sang a hymn. We prayed a prayer and we took an offering and then we dismissed for the day. We got it all in. I mean, hey, I did learn something in seminary, right? You get the offering before you dismiss. Okay. <clears throat> Have you ever been in a place when the lights, when you're in that place, if you're the one holding a flashlight, you're the one everybody wants to be with, right? In college, I went to college in southwest Arkansas, and um, there were a couple of locations in Arkansas uh, around where I grew up where we have um, notorious railroad lights. I don't know if you're familiar with those or not. One of them, the Gurdon Light, has actually made national news. It was like on 20, 20 minutes or 60 seconds or whatever the, the news shows are. Um, but we were about 30 minutes from there when I was in college. And so myself and some of my buddies would take trips down to see the Gurdon Light. You walk the railroad tracks for half a mile or so and the lights appear. Well, it's kind of freaky because it is disorientingly dark when those lights kind of appear, you know, and I have no idea what they are, swamp gas or something. I I don't know what creates the lights. But we always took a great opportunity to invite some of our friends to show them the lights. Typically, they were girls. And um, girls in darkness get scared. Oh, hey, I just happened to bring a flashlight. And they want to walk back with you. And so um, you kind of see how our plan carried itself out in these times, right? Uh, We were were known for that. Darkness is something that uh, has its effect upon us in a very powerful way. And so when light appears, it's very important to us. Really, maybe the most important question today is not where were you when the lights went out, but where were you when the light came on? When the light came on, where were you when the light of Jesus Christ shone into your heart and And has the light of God through the Lord Jesus Christ shone into your heart and into your life? You know, when darkness is all around and the light comes on, it has a way of comforting us. It has a way of guiding us, obviously, and even guarding us. Well, today in our text, Jesus makes this statement. Are you ready? John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, I, I don't know if, if maybe you need a, a verse to memorize this week or one to encourage you, but I'd encourage you, write this on the mirror in lipstick, put it on a little card, keep it with you, uh, put it as the home screen on your phone. This is a phenomenal promise and provision of the Lord Jesus Christ for our life. Before I dive completely into the text, I want to just kind of set up the text by this verse for just a moment and talk about how it is that this wasn't just a new idea that Jesus was purporting to people, but rather God has always shown his light into the life of his people. He's always been a light for his people. Psalm chapter 27 verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There's that comfort, right? There's that sense of being guarded. There's that sense of even guiding in that. So God has always been a light for his people. God's light has always guided his people. If we went all the way back to the second book in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament and we went to chapter 13, we would see that when the people of God were coming out of Egyptian slavery, it was the light of God that led them by day in a, in a cloud and it was the light of God, a pillar of fire at night that led them and carried them. Listen to what he says in verse 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Friends, let, let, me, let me just let me give you a little insight. That's not just a good story. That's a real time promise from God of the way he guides, guards, and leads his people. We see it right here in his word. The psalmist says in 113, chapter 113, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Proverbs tells us in chapter 6 and verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light for me. You see, God's guiding light not only guides his people, but it serves as a guard for his people. One chapter later in chapter 14, we know by this time that the Egyptian army had come out and they were going to overtake the Israelites to carry them back into slavery or they were just going to take them out. And here's what God did by his light. It tells us in verse 13, or 19 and 20 of chapter 14 that the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. The light of God has got your back. It guards his people. He kept his people in the light. He kept the pursuers, the Egyptians, in darkness. You see, Colossians also tells us about this idea of Jesus being the light. He says that when Jesus saves people... He saves them from the domain of darkness 
and he transfers them to live in the kingdom of his son, which is the kingdom of light. Friends, when we believe and follow Jesus, we no longer walk in darkness, but we walk in God's eternal light. You know, this idea of Jesus as the light of life is very helpful for us in understanding uh, so much about, not just about life, but about ourselves. Because Jesus as the light reveals for us and leads us into our own understanding of, of our true who. Our, our true identity, our true personhood, because until you know God, you spend your whole life looking for you, but you can't really know who you are without Jesus. Now, I know that that's a lot of you in there, isn't it? And that's the problem without Jesus. It's just a whole lot of us, a whole lot of me. But when Jesus comes into our life, he reveals the very purpose, the identity for why God created us. Once you walked in darkness, Paul tells the light, now you live as children of light. That's a whole new identity about who we are. Not only does he reveal to us the true who, but he reveals the real why, the purpose of our life. That we don't just exist and then we are no more, but rather every moment of our life, the reason that God put us on this earth one foot after the other Every step of the day is that he might be glorified in our life. That we might know God and that we might live in a personal relationship with him. Friends, that gives purpose to the everyday moments of life. Do you realize when you live for God's glory and you source your life out of the Lord Jesus Christ and you walk in his light, there's not a second of your life that is wasted that doesn't bring glory to God. You, you don't do church and then do life, but all of life is offered as a sacrifice. So the way that we live and the way that we work and the very way that our lives are, are uh, 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 aimed at in this world bring honor and glory to God. And that's why God created us. There's a purpose in that. And through that purpose, other people come to know Christ. The third way is what I'd call our path in life. We have those decisions we need to make. We, we have those situations we're confronted with or those challenges. What do we do with those? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus actively leads his people by his presence. He's present with us personally. He's present with us intimately. He's involved in our life. He's not an absentee savior. He doesn't go, here you go, now get out of my way. No, rather, he says, I want to walk with you. Just like God came into the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and he walked with them in the cool of the garden every day. So God wants to walk with you through the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where you are. No matter what you're going through, God wants to go with you, to walk with you. You know, we love to meet the author of books, to, to hear about those who've written and created movies. Don't we love to listen to them discuss the behind the scenes of why or how they created things the way they did? And when we believe in Jesus, we get that behind the scenes insight into our life. Because when Jesus illumines life, there is no hidden dark corner that remains that he cannot redeem from darkness to his light. If, if we'll give our lives to him, 
and open our hearts to him. Friends, I want you to see today that Jesus is the light of the world. He gives eternal life with God when we believe in him. Now we're going to enter back in to this dialogue. Maybe you might even say an argument that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. They're arguing. He's not. He's sharing the truth with them. They don't get it because they don't want it. And when we come to verse 13, Jesus has just told them he's the light of the world. Read with me in the verses that follow in their reaction. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So the Pharisees say, you're bearing witness about yourself. Therefore, your testimony is not true. They were looking for a reason to discredit Jesus. They wanted to write him off. And so they, they tried to make his testimony invalid. But Jesus said to them that he was not speaking alone. He had been telling them repeatedly this throughout the gospel account. And the very point that he was making, they were continually missing. You see, the Pharisees rejection points out the first way that Jesus as light actually saves us because amidst the world's darkness amidst the confusion and the deception that comes from unbelief Jesus shines the light of eternal life and of eternity into unbelief that others might see and know and that's the first reason why we should believe that Jesus is God because Jesus reveals God that we might know him Jesus reveals God that we might know him. He says, my testimony is true because he bears his testimony from the Father. And Jesus said, you, you don't know where I come from, but I do know where I come from. I know who it is that I have come from. And he says, and my testimony does not stand alone, but rather it stands together with his. Jesus came from God as his light in the world. But the Pharisees dismissed Jesus, and Jesus said, You do that because you judge wrongly. You judge by outward appearances. You judge by you what you know. And Jesus says, I didn't come to judge, I came now to save. But when I will judge, I will judge correctly because my judgment will be the same as the Father's judgment. And my testimony, therefore, is true. Because it agrees with the fathers. And here's what he says. The very law that you use to discredit me is the law that I fulfill in these testimonies. And so they say, well, then where is your father? Obviously, they're thinking only in the physical realm. That's what they were trying to use to discredit Jesus. And they were going, we've not seen him anywhere here. And Jesus says that they don't know him because they don't, they don't know the Father because they don't believe Him. But if you knew one, you would know both. Because they are 
one. He has come from the Father, and he is one with the Father. You see, what Jesus says here is that he makes the claim that he is God. He is one with God. He is one with the Father. And what he does for us in so doing is that he illumines God. In other words, he reveals God for us. That this is what God looks like. When you follow Jesus, you are knowing God. You have this understanding, this knowledge, this relationship with God because of Jesus. And he is the light that shines so people can see God. From the point of Jesus forward, there is no more speculation about who God was or what God was like. Because now, in Jesus, John tells us this in chapter 1, Jesus is God with flesh. He took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that's what Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees. But the Pharisees who claim to know God are denying him and dismissing him because they don't want to believe in him. It's their unbelief that blinds and deceives them. But Jesus is shining the light of glory on the person of God so that we might know who God is. When you see Jesus, when he teaches, when he acts, and all that he does in the scriptures you are seeing the very nature, the very character, the very being of God himself. Why? Because they are one. Here's what John is saying to us, friends. It is impossible for anyone to know God without Jesus. Now, that's a claim that the world just wholly rejects, whether they're religious like the Pharisees or even self-righteous and deny faith, deny Christ or God altogether. But what Jesus is saying and what John is telling us is that it is impossible to know the one true God without Jesus Christ. When you look at Jesus, you see God because Jesus came to reveal God that we might know him. And why? Well, the scriptures tell us because God wants to know us. He wants to know us in a personal relationship. There are three verses that are very helpful for really embracing this message today. There are three verses where John gives a little bit of commentary about what got, what's going on. So we get into the situation. We hear the arguments that they're making against Jesus. We hear Jesus' response. And in verse 20 and verse 27 and in verse 30, John kind of does this author thing where he pulls us out and he makes a commentary about what's going on and he helps us to see the situation as God wants us to see it. And the first one of those is in verse 20. Look what he says. In verse 20, he says, these words he spoke in the temple, talking about Jesus, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, if we're being honest with ourselves and everyone in the scriptures are being honest as well, here's what we know. The Pharisees wanted to kill him, but they were afraid to kill him, right? Why? Because they were afraid of what the people might do. And if the people have an uprising, then the Roman uh, army is going to come in and squash the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are enjoying their little minuscule uh, forms of power and control over people. And so they go, well, not yet. But the people have already said, it's not like Jesus is hiding from you. He's right here in front of you. If he's so wrong, then why don't you just arrest him? 
And that's what John's telling us here. Verse 20. No one arrested him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. We've already seen how that word for time or hour here is a reference to the divine appointed plan of God. And what I want you to understand today is that and though he was in public, they didn't arrest him because his time had not yet come. This helps us understand and helps us see the sovereignty of God in this situation, but also to understand it for our lives and our situations, friends. All that occurs This is not an easy thing to purport, but I'm telling you, this is what John is teaching us here. All that occurs is in God's appointed time for your life. Christian, you can live confident. I didn't say easy, I said confident. That what happens, and maybe even what seems to never happen, all and only happens because of God's timing. This is the sovereignty of God. I didn't say we would always understand it. I'm not going to purport that we'll always like it. But you can rest assured that the one who holds your life as a Christian holds all things. And that is comfort for us. Nothing that does occur happens until it's right time. You see, for us, we live by the tick-tock of the clock, right? Man, it's... Don't do that. See, a preacher should never direct people to look at their watch. Now he's on a time. Until now, you had no idea of what time. It's just like we just got started, right? God doesn't live by the tick-tock of the clock. God lives by the divine appointments through which he's working out eternity. And when God works, you can know this. He just impacted time with eternity. And he's bringing a divine purpose in your life, through your life, and for your life, for his kingdom. Why? Because he's the light of the world. We've already looked at that. That's what he does. Christian, take heart in God's timing in your life today. Whatever you're facing, whatever you've come through, whatever you're headed into, put your life not into the tick-tock of your clock, but into the appointment of God's timing to see his will His work in His way come about in your life. That's where Jesus and His light leads us. Jesus is the light of the world that reveals God that we might know Him. It's the first reason to believe. Now Jesus explains, He immediately follows this in verse 21, that He will go away and they won't be able to find Him when He goes away and they won't be able to go to where He is and they will in fact die in their sin and that immediately Immediately causes them to begin to speculate because the Pharisees were perfect at pointing out everyone else's sin but were completely oblivious to their own. Sound familiar? Okay, we won't stay there very long. And so Jesus, uh, as the light and how he saves, comes to us in a second way here. Look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. 
Not, not the greatest of news there, right? But the gospel always be, begins with the worst news before it brings the best news. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Listen, friends, here's the second reason. Not only does Jesus reveal God and who he is, but Jesus guides us to know the way to God. Jesus, as the light of the world, guides us that we might know the way to God. You see, living by the tick-tock of the clock isn't the worst parameter of refinement that we have in our life. There's actually a worse one that Jesus points out here, and it's this. We live under the condemnation and the curse of sin. And just as we can't get out from under the tick-tock of the clock, neither can we get out from under the curse of sin. But Jesus says, I didn't come from underneath that curse. I came from above. And I have come that I might deliver you from this sin. He's the one showing them the way to God. That's what he's telling them here. And where he goes, they will not be able to go because of their sin. But when he dies, the Father will raise him up to demonstrate his power over sin. You see, people die in their sin because we have no power over it. One commentator said, this is the supreme disaster to die in one's sin, unrepented and unatoned. Eternal damnation and separation from God. And Jesus is warning that those who die in their sin cannot be with God after death. But the Jews didn't believe Jesus, so they remained in darkness about what he was saying. And their confusion demonstrates for us how it is that unbelief darkens our own understanding about God. When we fail to believe God, we fail to believe that Jesus is the only way, and we put our hope and trust in him, repenting of our sins and trusting him for salvation. He shows how unbelief, maybe even in situations where God's word speaks clearly, but you reject that word and you reject his way for your life. And you say, God, I don't want to walk your way. I want to walk my own way. Friends, I'm telling you, you're walking out of the light. You're walking out of the cloud that illumines life. And you're walking into deceptive darkness. And just as we saw it is impossible to know God without Jesus, here we see that it is impossible for anyone to get to God or to go with God without Jesus. You do not get to God by Jesus and then go it on your own from there. Jesus is not only the Savior of the world, He is the source of all of life. He gives us life, but it is His life that He gives that is lived in us. Every day of our life is a day of walking with Jesus because He is the eternal one who is living out eternity within us. We need his light, not only for all of life, but for every step of the way. And knowing that he gives light for every step of the way reminds us that that's when God wants to be with us. 
God wants to be with you wherever you are more than you could even want him to be with you. And also when you don't want him to be with you. That's probably an indication as to whether you ought to keep walking the same direction you've been walking or not. Jesus came from above. That's what he said. He is the only one that can lead us out of sin because he is the only one that has come from outside of sin. He is the perfect spotless lamb, the only one that could be the atonement for sin. He came from above. He was born of a virgin. He was not born under sin's curse of Adam's seed. He was tempted in every way, yet the writer of Hebrews says he was without sin. He never gave in to sin. He was without sin. He's not bound by it. Yea, he's conquered it and all who reject or deny him remain in their sin and only destined to die in it without him we cannot go where he leads because we neither know the place nor the way to get there but Jesus comes that he might guide us to God he came to save and to lead people out of their sin by conquering it for them you know an objective trustworthy perspective can be a great blessing at times when we most need it especially man when when things get so hard and heavy and confusing and our thinking gets clouded and our heart becomes kind of just unclear right I mean just having somebody who will come and speak some wisdom into your life maybe speak some encouragement into your life and just say this is the way walk in it right Isaiah the prophet tells us that's the Spirit of God speaking to us when he leads us in God's word. And that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus is the light that guides us out of sin and guides us to God, guides us in the way of God, his way everlasting, the way of righteousness and the way of holiness. And we need Jesus as our Savior because every human effort always and only fails every time. So first, Jesus saves us from our sin when we believe, but then he leads us in his way of living. And that way of living is not bound by sin. And that's that everlasting life. The psalmist helps us understand this work of Jesus and how he guides us by his light. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. Any way that's sinful. Any way that is walking towards the darkness and not walking in the light. And then what does he say? Lead me, God, in the way everlasting. Praise God. He didn't just stand us up and push us away. But he raised us from the dead to walk with us every day. The Pharisees were confounded. You know what confounded mean? That means when confusion has so taken over your heart, your mind, and your life that, that you just com- you can't move. I mean, just who are you, they said. What in the world is going on? I mean, at some point you just wake up and you go, this is so ridiculous. This is so out of, of comprehension that something else has to be going on here. You see, they weren't just living out of unbelief. They were living in disbelief. And they demonstrated that Jesus' claims are so outlandish that they're, they're either true or they're absolutely absurd. That this, is a, this is a logic that's been put to us a number of times by uh, those who practiced apologetics. One famous one is C.S. Lewis. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he works through this logic that leads us to, to see that Jesus really has either got to be a complete liar 
That if anything he said is not true, everything he said is a lie. Test him and see. And if he's not a liar, he may be a lunatic. I mean, if he can't do what he said, then you've got to write this guy off. We need to lock him up. We need to medicate him. We need to secure him to the bedpost. Do not let him out. He's an endangerment to society and he's an endangerment to himself. But if this is not true, and this is not true, there's really only one conclusion, and that's that he is truly Lord. Everything he said came true. Everything he's done fulfilled what he said. Friends, there's only one logical conclusion. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah sent from the Father to bring salvation. And until you settle this in your heart, you too will remain not just confused, but confounded by Jesus and the claims of his word about God. And that's what John does for us. Look at verse 27. This is his second moment of commentary when he gives us some insight. He said this, they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. You see, they just thought he was purporting an argument, but rather he was revealing divine truth. And you can't see that unless you believe. You will always miss what God says to you until you believe in Jesus as Savior. You trust him as Lord of your life. Jesus is the light of the world that guides us to know the way to God. And we need light to guide us in the dark, do we not? But we must know which light to follow. Look at verse 28. Here's what Jesus goes on to say. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Friends, here's the third reason to believe in Jesus as the light of the world. Because he comforts us to know the work of God. What does he say? Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, you will know. You will know. Jesus will be exalted as God's only son that's sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world. You see, what Jesus did was he wasn't overcome, but rather he willfully submitted himself, not only to the Father's will, but ultimately to the hands of those who would crucify him. And at first, this seemed like his greatest defeat, but it became his greatest victory. Listen, I want to take you back to the moment of the cross that day, and I want you to hear the words that every gospel writer records from the eyewitness that was arguably maybe the closest to all the actual events. It was the Roman centurion. This very likely was the Brutus that beat Jesus with the whip. This very likely was the one who drove the nails into his hand that attached him to the tree. One of the ones that raised up the cross until it pounded itself into its foundation. And he stood there at the foot of the cross, literally at Jesus' feet, hanging on the cross. And he looked at him and here's what he said. Surely, this man is God. That's his testimony to you and I today. Jesus came from God as Savior of the world. He's the light of the world. I beckon upon C.S. Lewis one more time for a quote. To help us understand 
How it is that, that not only does he reveal God, not only does he guide us to God and in the way of God, but also he comforts us to understand the work of God. C.S. Lewis says this, I believe in Christ as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because through it I see all that is. That's beautiful, friends. See, Christ and the cross is not just about seeing an event and going, okay, we believe the event took place, but rather through the cross, seeing everything that is. You see, on the cross of Jesus Christ, we see the holiness of God and the high demand that said this is what is required to atone for sin. But we also see the greatness of sin's depravity in, in, in offending the holiness and the righteousness of God that it would demand such a high price for atonement. But you see, we see something else in the cross. We see the love of God where God said, before you even knew it, while you were still my enemy, I was glad to come and to love you to the uttermost, to give myself and to die for you. So we see the love of God. And so in the love of God, we see the hope of the world, those who are lost and far from God, separated from him into eternal damnation. And we see that there is hope because the hope is on the cross. Every great understanding of life, every... Uh, a minute detail of life is defined at the cross where we see God coming to people to love us when we didn't even know we needed to be loved and offering to us what we could never do for ourselves. That's Jesus as the light, as he comforts us in the work of God. Christian, I want to encourage you today to look upon Jesus as the Savior and to live out from him as the source of all of life. That's what the cross does for us the light of the world. There will be a day when everyone will see the light. But on that day, only those who have believed will be saved and led by the light. It has been said, maybe you've heard this statement, that the gospel of Jesus comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. You know, I looked that phrase up because I wanted to know its origin this week. Irony of ironies, that came from a newspaper journalist in the late 1800s. I've been afflicted by the newspaper a number of times, but I don't know that I've ever been comforted in my afflictions by the newspaper, right? But the spirit of that sentiment is true of the gospel that those who are afflicted by their sin and see it fully are comforted by the work of God in Jesus Christ. You see, God did not save us to send us out to try better, to be better. Rather, God raised us from the dead to live a life that only he can give. The spirit of this phrase resonates with the gospel. He comforts the afflicted in our sin with the knowledge of salvation, that there is hope, there is atonement for us. But those who remain in unbelief are only afflicted by the reality that they will never get to God. They will never get what they most want, what they most strive after if they continue continue in their unbelief. So the question for the moment for us today is simply this. Are you comforted by Jesus today or are you afflicted by him? Are you comforted by him or afflicted? Jesus comforts those who believe in him because he is sent from God to save us from our sin. And then finally we see that last little commentary 
that John gives us, friends. Verse 30, as he was saying these things. So, so, so in the midst of all of this argumentation that they're fighting against Jesus, and you see Jesus isn't really trying to win the argument. What you see here, especially with verse 30, is Jesus is winning people. He's talking to the Pharisees, but he understands he's speaking to a much broader audience. Many, many believed in him. This final commentary is such an encouragement. For even as the Jewish leaders argued with Jesus, many others, just listening in, believed and were saved. God's power to save, friends, reaches all who hear and believe, no matter the time, no matter the place. One last scripture about Jesus as the light. Psalm 43.3 says this, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world who gives eternal life with God when we believe in him. The light of God is shining today. His name is Jesus Christ. And if you will put your faith in him, you will come to know God and what it means to walk with the God of all creation every day of life. Let's pray.